is an ancient art form. It helps us make sense of our experiences and connects us to community. It has been said that there is no greater connection between two people than when they are storytelling together. We're having conversations with birth mothers, adoptees, and adoptive parents that will inform, enlighten, and inspire community. Welcome to the Absolute Love Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Russell. Thank you all for being here. On today's episode, we're talking with Tammy, who is an adoptive mother of several children who came to her through foster care. Her daughter, Taylor, shared her story last season on the Absolute Love podcast on season two, episode three, and Tammy was gracious in telling her perspective of Taylor's adoption experience. Hi, Tammy. Thank you for being here. What prompted you to explore doing foster care in the first place? Um, we just had kind of a, oh, like a notion that, you know, like a feeling like we, we just had a feeling we wanted to do it. So we just, uh, we um, went through Erie, um, the OCY in Erie, mm-hmm. and we trained and everything. And then it just didn't feel right. We just didn't feel, it didn't feel like it fit. So we waited probably a year, year and a half, and then it just kept waiting on us. And so then we went, we called the Bear Foundation and went through that. And then um, we just wanted to really help some kids. That's all. And there was, um, there's a song, Paper Angels by, um, oh, Jimmy Wayne. Okay. And that song, that song really hit me. And I think that's where it came mostly from. So did you take place in any other children prior to meeting Taylor and her siblings? Yes, we did. We had one boy for four months and um, then he got, went to his grandparents in Hawaii. We had a sibling group of four. Um, well, I was actually two cousins and two cousins, but they were four all together. That was really rough. And we had them for about six weeks and then they were, re- got to go home. So that was awesome. And um, we had a couple like temporary placements, but that's all. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you went into this, did you were you open to adopting ultimately? Should a child need that? Or were you hoping, thinking that this would be just that temporary placements? We absolutely were just doing temporary. Mm-hmm. It had no, no idea that we were going to adopt or we hadn't even thought of that really. Well, that went quite differently than mm-hmm. you started, huh? <laughs> Yes, it sure did. <laughs> oh, you just can't let them go after they've been with you for so long. You just simply, you simply can't let them go. Yeah. So tell me about how you remember Taylor coming into your life, what that experience was like for you. Well, well we um, have a sibling group, and I called my work and said, any way I can get off this afternoon because I was a school bus driver. So I said, can I get off this afternoon? And off we went to Mercer County and we walked in and there they were. Danny was kind of hiding behind somebody and there stood Taylor, of course, probably scared to death, but she didn't appear to be, you know, they didn't know what was going on. I knew it was tough for them and it was hard, but um, overall the beginning went pretty good really but it was when it got a little rougher when the parents started having to have visits and Taylor was telling me a little bit about her memory of that very thing once her birth parents started um participating not participating really that inconsistent 
um, stage of are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? Are they coming for us? Are they not coming for us? What do you remember about that time? Uh, yes, that was definitely the most, the hardest time because like before a visit, I usually wouldn't tell them because then you started, they started to sink to their stomach, wanting to throw up, wanting to, you know, not sleep at night, you know, and, um, behaviors would come out because, they were scared, just scared of what was coming. So I would wait till the very last minute kind of to tell them, but you could just see her going, you know, turn, turn like backward and um, the prison or jail and visit. And that was tough with two babies and Taylor. And um, when one particular visit was so sad, she, she had to visit through the class with her dad, her, you know, her dad didn't know what to say and he didn't talk. So we sang. So there's a seven-year-old trying to figure out how to talk to an adult. He didn't know what to say. It was just so awkward. It was almost like torturous, you know? And then, yeah. so we had a therapist in the house to her, you know what, Taylor, you're seven, you're fired from that job. You're fired from that job trying to figure out what to say. You're a kid. It's like you don't talk, you know. But th then when we of trying to get them back in a routine, try to get them, you know, not closing up, not. Um, and then then it would start again, another visit, you know, and then we would have like a, a visit where the driver didn't show up. So then we'd be. You know, just a couple times, but still that was so hard because they were preparing, sick to their stomach, couldn't eat breakfast, and then, you know, and then nobody would come. And then we'd cancel that, but then they'd come back, but all those feelings in her stomach didn't go away because they didn't show, or if they did show, it was the same. So it was just the idea of the, and that was literally torture, you know, the, the court really torturous for them just because it started a whole series of am i going back she had no permanency like she couldn't settle her the one therapist said how would you feel if you went to bed every night and not the next night and i hadn't thought of it like that but that's exactly what happened when the meet when the visits would happen and so that was tough yeah that's extremely difficult and and I think the way that the system is set up, it's such a prolonged period of time. You know, it's something like 22 months where birth parents can do or not do. And in kid years, that's forever. That's a long time yes. to fear that. Where do I live? Where, who's my family? Not scary. Yes. Yes. Very scary. Terrible. What and they actually were five years. They were actually five years before we adopted because I had to fight. I had to actually go like above everyone else and go to Harrisburg and say that they're they're just stalling and they're not getting going and there's laws against this and come on with it. She they need some permanency. Yeah, it I, it sounds like for her she was she was like ready to not be in that right. limbo pretty yes. early on i think it sounds like she had a pretty good understanding of and it's amazing because at seven it's like how she knew but it's like from what she said it's almost like she knew that where she was was not 
normal and that that wasn't what her life should be. Yes. And then to kind of have five years of, but you might still have to go back there is, that sounds really, that's exhausting. Yeah, it is. And we kept a lot of that from her. So she didn't know, but I know in her heart, she was just waiting to hear, you know, waiting to hear. And I said, I will never promise you that we can adopt you. I, I said, we have the date. I'm, I'm not telling you even it's going to happen because it was so uncertain. I didn't want to lie to her, you know, or her to think yeah. I was lying, you know, so. Other than sort of keeping the the scary things as safe kind of in your heart as you could what else do you remember doing during that time to help the kids get through that uncertainty you mentioned that there was a therapist uh what else was helpful to to keep them really just safe and stable while while you waited those five years yeah well i just would reassure them you know really and i bought like a bunch of books like about um the, you know like about foster kids and like books I could read to them you know we had like um journals we just kind of went on living but the therapists were a big help looking back do you feel confident in how you worked through all of that or are there things about that time that you feel um maybe not proud of or not that you weren't prepared to do or that you didn't have support to do I don't think anybody could ever prepare you for what what's going to happen. You mentioned that you had talked to one of the therapists that was supporting your family through this about parenting skills and needing some support to parent differently because of the specific needs of your children. Can you tell me more about that? Kids from trauma, you can't louder than this. And I said, you, I just started crying to her. I said, there's no possible way because that's not human nature. That's not, but I could see that it was true with them. The minute you would raise your voice or yell, they would just completely shut down. So we did learn, and I'm pretty proud of that, that we learned how to be more calm and be more, try to, um, they taught me to use humor. I was upset, like, oh, no, who forgot to put their shoes away? Silly, silly, you know, or something like that. And that was tough for me because that's not how I was raised, you know, not at all. So but I think we did fairly well. I mean, certainly we weren't perfect, but we tried very hard. You mentioned that you weren't perfect. And I think that that's something really important for all parents to know that we can't yes. be. That just doesn't exist. So feeling like, I think from you and from what your daughter, what I was getting is that the best thing that you did was recognize that it was a process of learning and, and trying. And if it didn't work, trying something else and asking for help. And I think that's so necessary with parenting in general, but yes. parenting children from hard places that, that the demand on the parent to do that is just so yeah. great. And it's, it's hard and i think a lot of parents don't do it well but from everything right. that your daughter said she she saw that in you and i think that's yes. something that you should be extremely proud of of doing that's that was hard i bet <laughs> yes it was and um one of the therapists told me it was so smart she said you just have to be a good parent you don't have to be a perfect parent you just have to be a good enough parent 
Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. and that was so reassuring because I used to tell myself, and I still do, that I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be a good enough. And that yeah, that I think that's so sh- true. Yeah, and the the showing that you're you're there and that you listen and that yeah. you hear them and that if if something isn't working or if something maybe hurt rather than helped, that you're there to help them work through that and that yes. you're open to learning as well. You know, we're not expecting our kids to to do all of the work while we just, you know, parent the way we want to parent. It's right. really assessing. And like you mentioned that, you know, you weren't raised in a, in a household that used humor to get things done. I mean, I think that's atypical. I think most people's parents are either yell or get, uh, you know, raise their voice or right. um, there's consequences. It's a more, um, negative type of, of, uh, more punishment model and yes. in hard places that model is harmful. That hurts, but having yes. to rewire that, especially when you're like, you know, stressed and at the end of your rope and you probably just want to yell. Did you know any other uh, people in your life in your close circle that had worked through foster care or who had adopted through foster care? Um, I knew some people in our community, but like I, I didn't reach out to them or anything. So no, actually, no, as far as support goes, no, I didn't. Okay. Did the, did the kids have connections to any other kids who were in foster care at any point or who were adopted that they either organically made relationships with or that they connected through um, any kind of programs? No, they didn't. Now that you think about it, no, they didn't have anybody like that, which isn't a smart thing to do, but we didn't even think of that. Yeah, I don't think when, based on how old the kids are, that that wasn't as, um, I don't think we knew as much then that, that, you know, recognizing that someone else is going through it. And it's funny because your daughter had said something that part of her desire to share her story was so that kids who might be experiencing something like she did realize that they're not the only ones going through yeah. it. But right. you know, it was different, you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't, that's sure how the systems function, but it's definitely learning from adopted kids. Now we know that yes. that's something helpful. Sure. Yeah. And that, yeah, we never thought of that one bit, but yeah. We should have, but we didn't. Yeah, you can't can't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> what are you finding as the kids grow is still something that's challenging for them that feels connected to their experiences in foster care? Um, I'm finding, you know, like their anxiety, depression kind of. And, and we're seeing some behaviors now with the younger two mm-hmm. that are related birth family Mm -hmm. um we we had one with reactive attachment and some of those behaviors are coming out now um learning you know learning disabilities things like that but Mm -hmm. um we're working on those but Mm -hmm. they're they're definitely i think is long-term emotional issues that they'll always have to work on but all we can do is just help them through it you know Mm -hmm. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about the reactive attachment disorder or RAD, which is actually fairly uncommon of a diagnosis, however, for children who have been through significant trauma and have not attached to a primary caregiver as infants can have this 
uh, diagnosis. So what was your experience like with your child who did have reactive attachment disorder? The second one had very terrible, terrible reactive attachment. And um, we, we got her to bond and we got over that and then nothing for like, oh, 12 years. But now we're just starting at 16. We're starting to see some stuff. Which is, that, is that related to the diagnosis? I mean, I'm not like super familiar with RAD, but I mean, you, 16 is like, there's a lot of changes in hormones and social life. And, you know, there's a lot yes. of changes at that age. Is that sort of a... Um, yeah, some of it, but like behaviors that um, don't like there's, she's not realizing that it's wrong. And she she doesn't want to communicate she I, which i know teenagers do but this is beyond the teenager thing you know like uh, won't ask for help just stays to herself um won't won't communicate or ask won't ask for anything ever and that's a big part of reactive attachment um kind of cold i i said to her one time it's almost like you don't want to be loved and she says she does but i think in her brain, she doesn't want to accept it, which is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, what do you do in that situation? What does, what do the therapists do? We yeah, we have her, we have her back in therapy and um, I've decided like, is, you know, I figure she's 16, she's gifted, you know, and she, she should be able to communicate what she wants or needs or, um, but she, she won't. So I've decided it's my job still to do it. I have to pry it out of her. Like, just for instance, like her prom dress or homecoming, she needed a homecoming dress. I told her like six weeks out, it's homecoming coming up, you know, and you, you got to figure out your dress or what, but nothing here we are. And then I said, well, I'm not going to say anymore. She needs to figure it out. She's 16, you know, get going with it. And then two weeks prior, I sent her a whole bunch of them on Amazon because at that point, that's what we had to do. And um, I sent her a bunch of pictures and then she found one in those that she liked. And that's what we got. And it was just beautiful. But for her to come forward and ask, it's just easier just to survive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she just doesn't want to have to communicate she doesn't want to have to ask she doesn't i mean i can't tell you the last time she's asked for anything she would use toothpaste to the very i mean she it would be there wouldn't be nothing left and she would scrape it out if she had to before she would say hey we're out of toothpaste up in the cupboard oh you know? so even things that are benign just simply getting her needs met she doesn't it's like she doesn't yes. trust anyone to support that yes Yes. Oh, wow. And, and that's really tough. But that reactive attachment is way deep. I mean, she felt she was for two years felt absolutely zero pain whatsoever. She'd scratch herself, dig herself, nothing. Go to get a shot. She would just smile. Oh, my. There, there was no reaction. But we did get her over that. But then now we're just starting to see some. And it's the, it's also, like you said, the hormones, the teenage years adds to that, you know? So anyway, that's, that's all with that. So that will likely be something that she'll deal with in some capacity 
for her whole life. That's what I'm afraid of. Yes. Yeah. And that's if you read any books, I've read every tried to read every book there was. And if you read books on it, it's pretty much a lifetime thing. But and that's what's so sad. Now, Taylor didn't have that because she was with a grandma had her for like three years while her mom was incarcerated. Okay. So she, so she didn't have that reactive attachment. And then Zane, um, the younger one, we got him at 10 months. So although they say the rad, they, they can feel that in the womb. They can feel when they're neglected or when there's stress, even in the womb. So even though we got him young, they still feel have that stress and whatever. Yeah. Cause you know, people say, well, if you get them under five, you can get them away from all that, but it, it's something programmed in their brain, even young, way young, but yeah, usually but you can bring, bring them out of it. But I think it's a lifetime of issues, you know, which yeah, is so sad. The science is really interesting because, you know, I have a degree in psychology and I got my master's in social work. And a lot of that, what I was learning was that brain development that really, I mean, the amount of, of understanding the best scientists have about brain brain function and how, how, you know, development in the womb happens is so limited. So I think a lot of that, that we thought that, you know, you're in the womb, you're protected, nothing's hurting you. And, you know, like you just mentioned, the, the stress that a mother is under when she's pregnant does affect a fetus. It changes the, the yeah. DNA, right? So that yes. stress in utero is significant. And then yes, that stress in those short 10 months, um, like you said, you, you can feel that. And even though intervention with a safe, stable home happens so young, it's not a wash. It's not like you can undo even a day of harm on a little one. And that's right. really sad. That's really, really sad. Yes, wow. it is just heartbreaking. Just, to, you know, and then, and then you think you got them young and you, you gave them all you could, but maybe that's not even enough. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we think too, that as adults, when we have something really traumatic happen, we don't really get over it. You know, it's, it's, right. it's always with you. It's just how you deal with it. And there are spurts when, you know, our own traumas or, or pains sort of arise and we have to make sense of, you know, why am I reacting this way? Or, you know, wow, right. that, that holiday or that, that song I heard or whatever really triggered me and, we do it as adults, right. but it's, I think for people who are thinking about fostering that, you know, what we're talking about is really scary, but seeing that yes. it's the same that, and it's the exact same thing an adult does. We learn to live with the things that have happened to us. Yes. And it's yes. And I think, and I think they can still be very successful in yes. life. You know, that it doesn't mean that it's hopeless. It's just right. that there's issues they have to deal with. And as they grow and become adults and they will have to get the therapy just like we do. So, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. even though we weren't in foster care, we can still, um, you know, they can do, do self-help just like other people Absolutely. do that weren't in foster care. So you're exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's, they're not hopeless. And the, the, the way that the, all of your kids worked through what, ex, what they experienced is seems so different. I think there's some yes. parallels with some anxiety and some, uh, you know, maybe dis mistrust of themselves and mistrust right. of their, their environment, which, you know, that's, 
human nature, really, but they've been taught to be ramped up on how mistrustful they might be. And and that's like you then said that the way you parent around that just shifts depending on, you know, what child you're working with and what the issue is and, you know, what resources are available. And it's just so individual that, that that's, that's really hard. It's really hard work to be a parent and it's really hard work to parent a child from a hard place. But uh, Taylor seems like she's really doing well. She seems really in tune with herself. I was really impressed with how just, I think, well, she's learning how she responds yes. to things and what her triggers are and what she can do to cope. And it's yes. really neat to see it at her young age that she's really putting a lot of effort into making sense of who she is and how she can be the best version of herself. It's really yes. Yes, I am too. She's she's just come so far from what she's been through, you know, and and she just she just is brave and um happy. You know, one time I asked a therapist, I said, um, or one day like um her brother knocked over her big huge Lego thing she built, you know, and she just kindly said to him, That's okay, buddy. I know you didn't mean to, you know, like he tripped and hit it, you know. And I said to the therapist, is one day she just going to flip and just attack because she's so calm about stuff? And they said, probably not because it's her personality, you know. So she she was blessed with a very sweet, calm personality, loving. Mm -hmm. And she just she she just came so far. So I'm just so proud of her. It's interesting too that that her her experience in her home felt loud. Like you you both had talked about how loud voices and and that just loudness is hard for the kids to yes. hear one. Um, and it's funny because she also then was talking a lot about how she was the parent when she came to you that there was yes. a lot of that, you know you can't you don't need to be the parent anymore. I'll do that yes. for you. Um, and it's it's almost like she had adopted a really strong calmness to counteract the chaos that her siblings yes. were being exposed yes. to. It's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I I would have to say to her, um, you know, Taylor, who's the mom here, you know? Yeah. Now, who is the mom? You know, and she'd say, you're the mom. And then I'd say, are you the mom? And she says, no, I'm not the mom. You know, and then we'd go through, you know, but, you know, you could just tell she wanted to still mother. I mean, even seven, eight, nine years old. And then pretty soon that went away. And I think it was just such a relief. You know, yeah. it had to have been such a relief. And and maybe it was around the adoption that she just thought, OK, you know, I don't have to do that anymore you know she finally came peace with it although she still does you know uh, feel responsible for them in a way but not not the mothering part you know yeah I got that sense from her too that and from what I know about early parentification of children that that sort of becomes that driving personality trait that you're a caregiver most strongly for your siblings but also just in nature you sort of adopt that purpose um so it's it's you know, unlikely it'll change dramatically, but I think her ability to love her siblings and not feel completely responsible for, for them, that's a big, that was a big shift for her. 
Yes, it sure was. And it was tough, but she did it. And I mean, when she was seven, she was really like 20. Yeah. But then as she got older, like she was a little Im like immature for her age, always like two or three years behind. But yet she was a mature like adult in other ways, she thought, which was so interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any stories or anything that you remember about that? That's an interesting assessment um like i remember her um sort of like behaviors teen behaviors uh -huh. like say when she was like 17 like you know how like a sassy like my other girls yeah they would like it like eighth grade ninth grade i mean everything i said was stupid everything i did was stupid <laughs> you know uh, you know, everything I did was wrong. You know, they knew everything. You know, I tried to talk to them. I know, I know, I know, you know. <laughs> but that was like, with both of them, that was like between eighth and ninth grade. And then, but Taylor, that came with her like 11th grade. Oh. So that's just, that's just like um, one of the instances. But like all of that always came later for her. You have trauma, you kind of get stuck in that developmental stage and then yes. for her when she talks about that formal adoption it sounds like for her it was like a, a a switch went on that she could function again like she it sounded like yeah. that formality of adoption for her was super important and not every kid does yes. think that but for her it definitely was so you figure for yes. all of those years she was sort of surviving you know kind of one foot in yes. one foot out um and then when she got that that green light to really you know you're safe you're you're here forever she then started moving forward on those developmental stages so it it makes sense that she would be uh, you know parentified so yes. seeming very grown in a lot of ways but then seeming yes her age or less in other ways that's a it's interesting yeah, it it really is interesting, and that's exactly what ha what what it was because she just was always a couple years behind as far as behaviors, but yet she was a twenty year old at seven. You know what I mean? As far as re like responsibilities, but yet normal kid behaviors were always a couple years delayed. Yeah, but now I think she's finally. You know, I think now she's twenty one, almost twenty two, and she's pretty much caught up yeah. i mean she's i think she's right where she should be now but that just came with years and and maturity and you know yeah absolutely absolutely yeah wow what a what a story for those kids what do you do you remember the so she was telling me about that file that she you had kept for her and she finally yeah. was able to look at it and there was some heavy stuff in there. She went through some really bad stuff. And yes. I know that you were aware of what was in her file for her whole life, I would I would assume. And she's just getting a lot of that big stuff, which yes. is, you know, she and I talked a little that that's as, as kind of past that as you are hearing that information about what was done to you when you were just this helpless little thing that's you know that she's gonna have again some work to to make sense of of that how yeah. was that to know the details of what was done to those precious babies and then to i think you kind of then knew 
to some extent why they were the way that they were, but you're not going to share that with them. I mean, some of those things were just so horrific, you know, an eight year old, 10 year old, 15 year old, they don't need to, they don't, they don't need that. They're not, I think developmentally your brain is, is super egocentric. You're working through, you know, socializing and hormones and learning to, to have relationships and all of that stuff is so consuming when you're a child, but then working through the fact that somebody hurt you so profoundly, you just can't really do that all at the same time. So for her to be an adult now and be able to, uh, from a place of peace, relative peace that she can look back and see, kind of get those breadcrumbs of, of her story. That's a lot, a whole lot. What is that like as a mom to know this kind of the horror that was done to your children and know what's ahead for them as far as knowing what happened. How, what is that like? Um, well, I think what why I waited so long, obviously, is because I didn't want her to revert back. Like mm-hmm. I was scared when she'd read it, if she would go into like, like reliving yeah. it reliving it all again the trauma again oh yes I remember that and then you know going to bed at night with a sick stomach thinking about it whatever Mm -hmm. but she she asked because she she does have you know she's interested in um maybe a social work or something you know and so she said I just want to read it and see you know but I I don't know how much she remembers I know she talks about like hiding behind the couch and and things but i think she didn't remember a lot of it till she read it yeah and or even when she read it she might not have remembered the actual events you know Mm -hmm. but quite a bit of it i think she did remember because it was traumatic but um as far as a parent it is it was heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to to know i mean how do you have a child in a crib for two years or whatever and they have an earache and you don't go to them in their ear they just realize they just realize that their ear doesn't hurt anymore because nobody came when I cried so it hurt quit hurting I mean both of the girls would we would go like if they would be sick with a fever I'd go to the doctor with them and the the doctor would say Taylor would say my throat hurts a little and the doctor would say and look, and well, your throat's fine. There's nothing wrong. Let me look in your ears. And one time, I think it was Taylor had two ear infections, and she was not even aware she had ear pain. Oh. And the doctor says, it's, your ear is so bad. Does your ear not hurt? She says, well, no, a little bit in my throat. But, like, oh. so I think they got immune to the that pain. Not just ears, but, you know what I yeah. mean? Like a stomach ache. Like, they didn't complain when they had a stomach ache. Or, like, um, they would throw up in the bed and not come say, I threw up. Aww. And they would lay in They would lay in it because they didn't have the ability to know or there was nobody there to take care of that. So, they just, that was just life. They just oh, did that. Gosh. Oh, and gosh. so, as a parent, it was just heartbreaking. You know, and one time one therapist told me, she said, or the caseworker told me, I wish you wouldn't have seen the file. I wish you wouldn't have met the parents because you, you always will have that in the back of your mind, what they did and what they, you know what I mean? Like people can change and, and then you'll always worry they're going to be like that. And I still am worried sick about that, you know, that they're going to turn into them. And yeah, 
you know, I can't. Taylor put on a, um, a twenty her 21st birthday with a, a shot of alcohol with her boyfriend, whatever. And I immediately was sick to my stomach. Oh, my gosh. I text her. I don't like that. You know, I don't like seeing that. You know, what do you get? She said, Mom, can you relax, please? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. But it like almost like I was traumatized by it all just because I am scared to death still for all of them, what they're yeah. going to become, you know. Yeah, so. I, I, it's it's normal to worry that your children will make poor choices, but I think when you know what's what they were around, that there's almost a yes. desensitization to that. That they, yes, right, like they saw those those patterns, and it was normal for them for a period of time. Yes, you know that it it's probably does feel really scary that they're going to maybe feel comfortable in that lifestyle because they it's familiar in a way that yes <clears throat> it shouldn't be but but because of what they've been through it is yes yeah. and i think that file you know in a way was harder for me because i saw it and then that was made it the worry even more you know but it does just break your heart for what they went through but overall i'd say they're doing very well considering mm -hmm. you know i'd say so yeah yeah the do you have that that type of of information on the other kids as well yes i do yeah. i have it all mm-hmm yeah they gave it to me at the bear foundation and it wasn't right at the beginning it was quite laid into it, you know, mm -hmm. that I got that information, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, uh, like their psychologicals and all that, you know, we had to have all that history for all the psychologists that we had to go to and yeah, all the therapists and stuff. But in the school, you know, I, I ended up giving the copies all to the schools, you know, and I, it's so sad because like in the schools I asked, well, what do you do for reactive attachment or fetal alcohol or whatever? And they're like, well, we don't really know much about it. Yeah, I've heard that 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 school uh, just working with a school system is really challenging, if, especially if you're not, um, I, I don't know, I guess in a, in a district where they've had a lot of experience working with right. children in foster care, that that's almost like a extra layer that as the parent, you're responsible for teaching the teachers how to teach your children um, yes. and everything else you're doing. I mean, for a lot of parents that, that uh, relinquishment of your children to school during the day is like a, yes. it's a built in support. You know, that there's other competent adults who are helping to nurture your child's development and yes. to then feel on your end that they are, but they don't really understand your children. Right. That becomes a task that you then have to do. And, and on top of everything else you're doing, it's like, yes. it's I know a lot of parents struggle with that school, the way that their children are, are taught or supported right. in school. Yeah. And I, I actually found these like worksheets, like online that I printed, like to my, to the teacher of, you know, this kind of kid, this is what you might see, you know, and then every year we would, you know, have a meetings like for the learning disabled and whatever at the beginning of the year. And I would always give it to him and say, you know, this, this is, this might be helpful for you with him or with her or whatever, yeah. because that was a big help for the teachers, you know, but I mean, they can only do so much, but I think they didn't realize the scope of the Oh, brain damage in a yeah. way, you know what I mean? So, but I, tr I did try to help with that a little bit, so...
That's hard. That's a lot of yeah. extra work to have to do. And, and you don't always get a teacher that's receptive to, to taking that on because, you know, they often feel overloaded with what they're working on. And, well, and sure. Yes. Yeah. That's very tough. Yeah. I think there's a little more, uh, I, it probably depends on the, the school and the programming and whatnot, but I think uh, there are a little bit more concrete resources for, for kids who are, are working through the foster care system and have had some traumas like that. Um, yeah. In school, there's a little more support, you know, when those special needs are identified, there's a, you know, IEPs and, and yes. that are in the classrooms. And, but I, I know that there's a lot of families that if they qualify for that, the reality of actually getting a support in place that's competent, that's a whole yes. nother level. So that's advocating for your kids becomes your full-time job. Yes. And it was a full-time job, but I'm glad I did it. And it, and it was helpful to me too. Like yeah. the books were helpful. I needed help, you know? And then at one point I, I started seeing a therapist myself because I said, I'm a parent, but I don't know how to parent. Like, I don't know how to parent them. I need help. The traditional parenting wasn't working. Right. So I needed, I needed help. You know, I like the no yelling and like, it's almost was backwards. Like their punishment. If you took something away, they didn't, like they didn't react. They didn't care. That didn't work. This one didn't work. That didn't work. So I, I did go for therapy just to help myself learn what I could do to help them. But even still, I'm working on that because, you know, you just, they're not typical parent kids to parent. And yeah. that's, what's tough, you know, that's really awesome that you, that you took that on as part of your, your job as a parent to, to alter what you knew to meet their needs. I, I feel like that is the responsibility of a good parent with any child because yes. no matter the child, they don't, you know, my kids are not parented the way I was parented. And I, I have to parent them differently because they respond differently. Yes. You know, they are different people, but yes. I don't know that that's really the, the common belief when people think about parenting, that it is, each child needs something different from you. And if you are yes. parenting, biological, foster, adoptive, whatever kind of parenting you're doing, it's your job to tailor your skills to meet the needs of your kids. And yes. it often takes therapy for the parents. It takes support for the parents. We don't just yes. know how to do that. <laughs> that's not instinctive. You know, we parent instinctively the way we were parented. And right. that's not always right or healthy or what our kid needs. Right. Yeah, and these kids too, like they don't, they don't like automatically know everything. Yeah. Like, like my older two, they just would automatically know, like, you know, when you, oh, for instance, um, when you go to the bathroom, you, you use the toilet paper to wipe yourself. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. Taylor would use a box of half a box of Kleenex and flush it. Oh. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these are things that just aren't automatic to them that you that you think they just automatically know the kids automatically know, but they don't, you know? Right. And so it did, it, it, I had to have help to figure out what to do or how to do it. And I, right. and that was, it was a huge help for me. Yeah. That's something you don't really think about that a lot of, for a lot of kids, what they're learning, they're learning through watching their parents yes. do it. 
And so for your kids, there wasn't anyone there showing them modeling things. You know, I, I don't, there's lots of things now that you say that I'm thinking about in my own home that my kids know how to do, but I don't recall explicitly teaching them that. So clearly they've seen me do it. They've, you know, watched me as I do certain tasks and they know how to do it. But for your kids, when there's not a functioning adult in the home, Yes. They're just trying to figure it out without any model. So I imagine right. there's a lot of things that for them we we feel like they should know, but yes. Where did where I mean like shutting them? like shutting the door. Um the, the one thing they struggled like with is um it it was something so simple, but like you know when you're like it's winter time and you wear warm clothes and then okay, it's getting spring and it's getting warmer, you know? So then when it's April, you would know like just to wear a Mm t-shirt, you know, like kids would just say, Oh, I don't want to be hot. I'm just going to wear a t-shirt. They literally would wear winter clothes all summer. If you let them, Oh wow! you you know, because they never, even though they were hot, it was what was there. It was, what they were used to, like, I mean, literally, I used to say to Taylor, like, she she would wear black leggings, seven, like, they, they had closets full of clothes, but she would literally wear the same three outfits I would wash, Taylor, and I would have to hide those outfits sometimes to force her to wear something different, but it's like routine, you know, I'm going to wear the same sweater even though I'm hot, I know I'm hot, but they ne- it never clicked, like, Oh, it's getting hot out. I can't wear this anymore. I got to take the sweater off or I got to put a lighter shirt on. It was routine. And they were so much routine. You know, same, same. I used to have to, um, one therapist told me to put like when they would go outside, it was so weird, but they would go outside and they would do the same activities every time. They'd go swing on the swing. They'd go ride their bike. They'd run around the front yard. They'd play soccer. Here we'd start again. They'd go to the swing, ride the bike, play soccer, run around the yard. And it was all day long because they didn't have the ability to know like, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. It was such routine. It's so hard and weird to understand. But so she told me to put all it like a bunch of activities in a bin, like, or a, 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 a tub or something. And then they could pick from it. Like, um, today we're going to, we could do Play-Doh. We could do, um, uh, Introducing oh, new activities. any new activity because otherwise it would be the same routine every single day. But that was like, almost like a safe thing. Don't you think? I mean, almost like a, I, I can't yeah. explain it, but I, it, it, one of the it, things I remember learning about that is, is like your, so it takes a lot of, uh, it's like curiosity, which a child learns from, well, attachments, right? You learn how to explore your environment right. and that all, you know, your ability to go into a museum and interact with all of these new activities and figure out how they work and touch and play and learn that right. all is a foundation of your attachment. So if you didn't attach to a caregiver, you don't learn how to, I can't remember how old it is. It's like 18 months or something where you start learning that 
you can go, uh, you know, walk a few steps away from your adult and touch that new thing and then come back to your adult for safety. And then you can go a little further and come back. Uh So you're learning that you can explore and engage with your world because your adult will keep you safe. And that... That happens within, gosh, I think it's like the first two years of your life, you set that foundation of safety to explore. So if your kids were not nurtured so that they could do that, there's like fear, there's resistance, there's just not knowing how to do that. So yeah, I can see that where, you know, especially if it was like an activity that Taylor was introducing that she was comfortable with and safe with, then the kids would trust whatever she's showing them is, is safe. Yeah. But yes. then engaging themselves. And like, like you said, like going out into a park and there's 15 toys and they recognize one, they go to that instead of going yes. to the new thing, which I think most well-attached, well-developed children, they might start there, but then they see all this new stuff and they want to go see what it is and explore it. Yes, that is that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just exactly. Yeah. So, all you know, all of these things people don't think of, but it, but they're so deep in them. You know what I mean? Like the, okay. the safety part and all that, you know, and the automatic automatically doing things just isn't there for them, you know, which is so sad. But it is. And it's yeah. it's definitely true that, that those relationships that start in the womb, that's your foundation for how you interact with the world. And if you don't feel safe and attached to somebody even if it's like a dysfunctional somebody if you don't feel that then your ability to do all of these other tasks of life it's altered so for your kids isn't that um foundation so that when they're doing new things that we perceive to be just easy you know you you go to a new restaurant you figure out how you how you get a table how you sit how that our experience with that is so different than it is for your kids and that's yes that's hard that's hard it makes tasks for them maybe a little more tiring a little more stressful a lot more anxiety provoking so I'm sure right. that we do that you're like, why would this be stressful for like, why is my kid freaking out over this? Yeah. And we also noticed like when we would go to Walmart, they would like freeze, like oh. stand there and like, you know, you'd say, excuse me, I need to get in here to get a cart. You know, they'd be in the way they'd be, you yeah. know, and they'd be staring at people probably because it wasn't familiar, you know, yeah. stare in the way of people, you know, come on, get over here because people are trying to get around us. You know, and they'd be like zombies almost. Oh, wow. And, and which is, but it was an unfamiliar, unsafe place, probably. Yeah. So, Lots of new yeah. activity, new noises, new spells, new, and you're like almost overloaded. Yeah, yeah overwhelmed. Yeah. Overloaded and overwhelmed is the word, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because when you're, when you see how your kids function, and you understand all of this, you know, like, like all that reading you've done helps you see something like, you know, you're in Walmart and this is happening. And instead of getting angry and being like, come on, you can, yeah. you can look at that situation and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to bet this is what's going on. So, you yes. know, you can alter what you're doing to get them some exposure to these things and learning how to do them without, um, right. All that overwhelm. It's yeah, it's, it's, wild how much is affected by by trauma and by those yes. few months and years of life it's absolutely wild 
Yeah, and Taylor did, um, even up till um, maybe a couple years ago, she went to like North Carolina with her friend or something and she went to say Georgia or whatever. She would text me the minute they, she'd be out of town. It'd be, you okay, mom? Hi, mom, are you all right? Is everything okay? Goes, mom, are you there? Mom, are you there? You know, she had to know like I was there. Yeah. Even up to a couple years ago. Now she's kind of let up a little because I did tell her, you know, I can't always text back right away. Yeah. You know, like there's times where I, I'm not available, but um, she, it, it was like she went into, is my home, you know, I still am. I do I still have a home? Do I still have a like almost like a scared uh, feeling in her stomach or something? But it was, are you okay, mom? Is everything okay? Are you okay? You know, just I don't know. She has this, just such a sweet heart, that's for sure. Yeah, and that that separation, you are her constant, you are her yes. home to her. So, yes. being away from you, it's it triggers all of that panic of you know where 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 will you go you know like yeah i'm sure you know in the way she talked about you she knows that you're not going anywhere but it it's just that separation triggers something just deep down in her that she feels like she yes fear that separation. yes exactly yes but now i think overall they're doing really good though i'd say so yeah i your daughter is amazing you, you've done a really wonderful job supporting oh, her and I, it's amazing just how different life would be if we don't find somebody that helps us heal and helps us feel safe and do you oh. think that if life had a reset button and you were able to do this experience again you would do it um yes i would mm -hmm. for sure i would I, I can't imagine my life without him so mm -hmm. i would for sure um do it but I, I think I would prepare myself a little more, mm -hmm. but, but maybe I wouldn't have been able to, because like I said, you, you don't know until you live it. So, you know, you can't prepare for what you don't know, but I, I would for sure, you know, and, and I, I if we had given them back or given up on them, I, I'm not sure where they'd be right now because Taylor needed something, somebody steady. And what, what if we had dumped her? Yeah. Where would she, where would she be right now? I sometimes think that, you know, and so um, I most definitely would do it again. I think their experience of not having multiple foster homes probably set them on a path to stability much sooner than it could have, you know, that yeah. damaged them so much further to have multiple placements. So I think in many ways, yes. finding one another at that stage in life was just perfect for all of you. Yes, I believe so too. That's it guys. Thanks for listening. Please check out our website at www.absoluteloveadoptions.com. See you next time.